And so once I was brave enough to really go to an open mic, it was just kind of like, that was the gas I needed. It was like, whoa, they really, really liked it. And at first it was just like a high, like, you know, not because I'm a lover of poetry. It wasn't that deep. It was just, whoa, for the first time, I'm not the out girl. I'm not the quirky. I'm not the nerd. Hi, this is Stephanie Fallon. And this is Tony Russo. And you're listening to another episode of So What's Your Story? A podcast in which we talk to authors and writers about their writing, the stories behind the story, the writing process, and any other sort of miscellaneous writing stuff that we want to talk about. Today on the podcast, we have Ashley Cuffey, a spoken word poet who is better known in our Berlin, Maryland community as the Poet Ashes. From open mic nights to sharing stories through poetry, Ashley is focused on creating a movement. In fact, she is the executive director of the nonprofit Beauty from Ashes Movement, which seeks to provide the community with a creative and comfortable platform to accept and share life's experiences. Previously, Ashley dedicated 12 years to the early childhood education field and also taught conflict resolution and shoplifters alternative courses to court and community-referred teenagers for three years. During that time, she became a certified mediator for the Delaware judicial system. Through her time as an educator, Ashley has partnered to build a conflict resolution curriculum and is currently creating a poetry-based curriculum to be utilized within the Prey Project, a program offered by the Beauty from Ashes movement to assist youth in gaining self-identity and awareness. Ashley is currently pursuing a BA in psychology as well as an outlet for publishing her poetry. So welcome to the podcast, Ashley. Thank you for having me. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited. Um, so this is, you are our first spoken word poet. And for people who are listening to the podcast, I, I cannot even come through this microphone strong enough to say you have to go listen to, to Ashley's uh, spoken word thing. That was incredibly powerful. And I know you were kind of giving... Um, a poem to just you know Tony and I which was like we we joke and said this is a super intimate yeah it was a little intimate (laughs) yeah it was a lot of eye contact but (laughs) that is so incredible it is just it's such a it is a performance art yeah absolutely absolutely and I don't think it gets so much credit so I'm hoping that with um outlets such as this and open mics and just making people more aware that they understand that um, literary poetry is awesome. I'm a lover of it. That was the beginning for me. But there's something about getting on stage and performing in front of people and definitely intimate like this. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that was, was, was totally a, different. Yeah. But still just to be able to look in the eyes of people because even when if we hear a poet or a writer read their own work, usually even though we can see things or maybe interpret it the way that they intend it for us as the reader it's different to hear them because the flow of poetry is different um and so you know how you're how you're speaking or how you want people to feel you can really convey that even if you're a really good writer and and they can get the same off the page it's good to to turn it into that performance art where people can really feel it, look at you, talk to you, engage like we were talking before, yeah. to have that immediate gratification that this is how it made them feel or that they really understood what I was trying to convey. Yeah, I think there's a... F- and and uh, Ashley and I were talking just before the, the podcast about how, you know, when... That there is a physicality to the, you know, you read a poem on a page, you open mm-hmm. a book of poetry and you read, and you're like, oh, okay, this is, this is one thing. But that spoken word moment really, and I, and I didn't have a deep appreciation for it until I just, you know, saw you oh, do awesome. this, awesome. but it, there is a physicality. I don't know if it's the eye contact 
watching facial expressions, hand movements. There, it's really like coming off the page at you, mm-hmm. and I, and it kind of turns poetry from this kind of nebulous thing mm-hmm. kind of out here into a very concrete emotional moment for people. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. yeah it was that, that was pretty incredible. Thank you. Well, what I think spoken word poetry does is it gives people a chance to hear how poetry can be on the page. It's like a reverse. Like no one gets as much. Most of us are entry level to poetry is in school and mm-hmm. it is, it's, it's the, the teacher reads it out loud and it's, <laughs> what do you think about it? Um, and you know, that can be done well or poorly. I, I mean, I've had it done both ways, but when, once you, once you get beyond that, hearing it out loud is a reminder that this is an out loud thing. Whereas mm-hmm reading a book is really you, you want to be like whispering in someone's ear and with poetry you want to be able to make eye contact through the page and mm-hmm. i think a lot of us since we don't read poetry very regularly need to be reminded of how to do mm-hmm. that and by programs like yours where people are this is how it should sound when you read it by yourself yeah that that's a, it's an introduction yeah absolutely i agree with that and i think that there's still a love for me with reading the poetry, which is part of just loving to read. But in that, I can kind of, to me, feel like I can interpret it in different ways, regardless of, of really how the author intended for it to be, which is one of the grand things I, I appreciate in poetry, is that depending on where we are in our walk in life, a poem will mean something completely different today than what it will mean a year from now. A lot of the pieces that I'm sharing now, I wrote high school or early 20s, and when I read them now, they're alive today. I can feel it more now today because when they were written, it was written as a coping mechanism, a way for me to kind of escape what's going on, get it down, and, and be free for a minute from it, and, and never really going back to look at it to see really what was going on, or was it really cool, or was that a poem? It was just a, a writing, and that's all that it was. And then to get up and be able to perform it today means something different than what it meant as I was writing it, which I love a lot about it. Um, but reading um, someone else's poetry on paper and speaking out loud to people, I think I never want it to sound like one is greater than the other, because oh, sure. I think I think both are, are really important. Um, but I think the putting vocal to it was major for me and in, in my walk and my life's journey, um, because there was a time where I was writing it and I was teaching these kids in conflict resolution about writing. And, you know, you tell them count to five and you breathe and you have all these outlets. But what I realized is that my outlet was really becoming a crutch, because even though I was writing it down, I still wasn't coping with anything that I was feeling any of those emotions so it's good to write it down but there's still a step after that that has to happen so the speaking for me in addition to the writing is what i'm really trying to push i just wanted to um ask you about the difference uh, being vulnerability like when you have the paper in front of you i mean you mm-hmm. might trip over the word but the words are there but it's there's like a high wire aspect to it to live without notes um i think so for the for the audience, I think for sure. I, 
I do. Oh, well, yeah, I agree with that. For the audience, it is different. Uh, because when I'm sitting and listening to another poet, it's like if it's not recorded, then if there was something else that I wanted to think of or how you were like, I remember this piece of the line, but what was the rest of it? Because I really love that piece. So if it's not recorded, it's like I, it's like a anxiousness to get it all right now right, as yeah. opposed to if I have something that I can either read along with it, I can comprehend it better, or at least I can go back to it and, and see it myself. So that I think that is, that's a good point to bring up. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And I think, and Ashley and I were talking about this earlier where, so the writing that you and I do is pretty solitary. You know, we sit in our offices or where our little, you know, hovels, wherever we are and we do the thing and it's a very solitary process. And then we put it out there, whether it be in a book or uh, online or whatever. And, we just kind of put it out there and, and that's that. And then we go right back into the hovel and we write some more. Whereas I feel like what Ashley's doing, and we talked a little bit about this, she is getting the audience feedback immediately. Right. We're not. We, somebody might leave a comment. Somebody might come to a book signing and say, oh, I, I read your book or whatever. Like the, the type of feedback that you and I are getting is really different from what you're getting when you're doing these stand-up things because you're getting the eye contact and... The vibe. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. you're picking that up mm-hmm. right away. And yeah. so because I don't ever get that, <laughs> what is that like? What is that like to connect with your audience instantly like that um to me it's like natural high um because i get to see one it's like confidence is great but to have people to join together with you and kind of connect and not validate you because you don't feel like it was great but it's it's almost like a validating your life that i understand that these things you know or none of them are in vain because when I read them out today, whether it's past experiences or things that I'm currently going through, there's someone in the audience that can connect with it for whatever reason. Either they're currently going through it and it was inspiration to them, or maybe one day they will and they've already heard the words. And I'm a believer that once the words come out and they're vibrating, they're out there. So at some point in time, it'll it'll catch up to you if it didn't get you right at that moment. Um, but it's nice afterwards, you know, to hear people. People clap. You know, you come to a concert, people clap. Right. Some do it just to be courteous. Yeah. <laughs> but it's it's nice that even after the fact, you know, everybody gets to meet up. And if somebody comes up to you, that means they really enjoyed what they heard. It wasn't just, oh, let me clap because she's done with her performance. I'm glad it's over. <laughs> <laughs> it was, oh, wow. They really, really liked it. And people will really tell you, like, I enjoyed this piece because this is what, or I had a friend or you know, whatever, or it was just nice that, you know, or how do you get up and you're not afraid to do it? All of those things, not just for someone to be wrapped up in the poetry, so to speak, that's just a tool. You know, it's a way to get to another place. So if me reading a poem and someone sitting there, like some, a lot of the performers that come up now just came to spectate at first and then just having conversation. Oh, you write? Yeah. Well, how come you've never stepped up to the mic? (laughs) I don't think so. I don't, you know, not sure about their writing. And now they get up and they look forward to it. If I haven't posted advertisement, they're like, um, are we having the open mic? Because they really want to get up because once you get bit by the bug, (laughs) Right, you, you know, you, you're ready for the next one because it's like, wow, my words are really being heard. And it's one thing to be locked up in journals. It's a whole nother thing. But I do believe that there are poems that are meant to just be read because, like you said, it gives people, instead of that live, it gives them um, a, a bit more substance to be able to sit and reflect on it. And reflection is a big part of 
it, this whole life's journey. It's a, it's a big part being able to reflect and really sit and, and let things sit with you in your stillness so that you can do something with it as opposed to just, oh, I'm hype about this moment in our emotions. And then it floods away when the open mic is over. So I think, I think it's, a, it's a natural high. It's, it's awesome because it, it builds connection. It, it builds connections because everybody likes a poem for different reasons. And sometimes I've learned it has absolutely nothing to do with the poem. <laughs> <laughs> and you, you, it just keeps you humble because it's always a, vul- it's a vulnerability. Oh, yeah. You're getting up there and you're sharing yourself and you want to help other people to be able to do the same. So someone has to step up first and be vulnerable. So someone sitting out amongst you can say, oh, she did it. And that poem sounded like she hasn't always been good. (laughs) Or, you know, oh, she has guy trouble, too. Or, oh, she's lovey-dovey, too. Or, you know, or a poem can be funny. And then they're like, well, then maybe mine will be good. Right. And then they get up or even if it's not a poet that they feel like their words, their feelings are validated. Like it's okay to just be me, even if it's a quirky me. (laughs) (laughs) I wanted to ask, um, you mentioned before how you felt like just putting it on the page was a crutch. And then you kind of develop this spoken word event. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, spoken word interest. And then from that, you uh, develop the event. Can you can you kind of take us through like what was your first idea where I need to do this out loud? And then how did you make that happen? And then how did it get to be what it is today? Sure, sure. So um, when I say crutch, I think uh, sometimes people are like, what? Writing is supposed to be an outlet. All these people journal. But for me, it was more, I was naturally introverted. So much wasn't going out into the atmosphere anyway. Um, But what I found just for myself, and for some people, they may write and it is an outlet. It is a way that they're able to kind of do that reflection and then do something with it. For me, it was more, if someone is hurting me and I write it down, it's written down, feelings are still there. Um, But after a while, um, it was almost like how we teach ourselves to do anything. Um, If I write it down, to me, I felt like, well, at least it's not inside of me. It's somewhere else. Mm. When in reality, of course, it's not. Because still, when I see the people or I think about it, I'm still upset. I'm crying. I haven't confronted you to say that I am hurt or anything. So it wasn't really helping me. That's what I mean by crutch. It's almost passive aggressive. Absolutely. Yeah. Right? <laughs> so, well, I'm um, going to get you on paper later. <laughs> I'm going to get yeah, you yeah, on yeah. <laughs> I told you. <laughs> I wasn't playing no games. <laughs> but... Uh, it it was just it was such a crutch for me and I, I, hindsight speaking of course in the transition of this I'm oblivious to it all and I, I, you got to think journaling started when you can write you know so or you know complete thoughts right um, so middle school I'm writing and um, so I'll say around high school high school is when I was first introduced to spoken word which is um, I guess. In an unconscious kind of way, I'm thinking that, wow, all poetry is not just written, number one. And two, that when it's written, maybe you're supposed to do something with it. Um, And, you know, in high school, you're going through all this transition anyway. So I was thinking, not going to my home school. I'm going to be going to a whole new school where all it's like a magnet school. Everybody's coming to this technical Mm. school. I can be brand new here. And so that was kind of like the brand new transition that these people don't know me. They might not know at my old school I was the nerd unless some of these other bullies come along. Right. <laughs> and I'm hoping their grades are not going to give them the, <laughs> the opportunity to come to this school like we just we're going to start fresh. Um, and so being around other people um, 
and, and going to that school, honestly, um, where people were coming because they wanted to excel and do things, which were things that um, where I came from, you were kind of teased about. It, it wasn't so right, so yeah. great. It's like either you think you're uppity or you're better than somebody else. If you it's choose not valued to. the same. Absolutely, absolutely. So um, with that, I... Um, Deaf Poetry Jam was uh, real big at the time. I wish they were now. It's, um, it's, it's, I, keep, I keep thinking you're apparently much younger than you are. I'm- <laughs> well, I am young. I'm 30. I'll be 31 December 3rd. Gosh, I... So you were ahead you? of your time with the Deaf Poetry Jam. You were watching stuff you shouldn't have been... <laughs> yeah, because Deaf Jam, oh my... It was life for me. Um, and so I remember watching people like Shihan and, um, I thought he was amazing and he was like, he would tell serious poems, but it would be like in a real light kind of way. It wasn't as thick as I thought poetry had to be, which caused me to kind of in my journaling think that like at this point, really, I wasn't even really thinking that my journaling was poetry to me. It was just that journaling. Um, and so when I started watching them, it was kind of like, wow, maybe I can do something. And so I went back to read things that I really, you know, hadn't read. And then, you know, you're continuing to write. And so I get into my early 20s and um, I joined an AmeriCorps program. And these ladies were amazing and they were encouraging me to do a lot of things. So since I had already been introduced to the poets through Deaf Poetry Jam, then you start looking for, you know, different things um, Mm. and different people. And so I found different people. And um, even after Deaf Jam Poetry was done, they still did like the Brave Voices and all these different kind of um, poets that were young. And at this point, I'm in my early 20s and these are teenagers that are rocking the stage, (laughs) you know, and scoring big time. And I'm thinking, whoa, could I really like try my hand at this and try to write some poems? And then when I joined this AmeriCorps program, uh, my program manager was real intricate in pushing me. Um, and so I was there to learn about nonprofits, community service, and all this other stuff. So sometimes what you go into something for, you get something completely different out of it. Um, so now I get to live in this fulfillment of, of all things you know, that, that I've encountered thus far. So she's pushing me. And um, she was like, well, why don't you, if this is what you're really trying to do, why don't you just like on Fridays read a little bit for us, even if it's not finished or you don't call it a poem. And so that's what I did. And so I started just re- It was real intimate. It wasn't two, <laughs> maybe eight of us, but I would just sit at the table and I'd just be, you know, reading whatever it was that I had written. So it went from being a crutch to, okay, now we're giving voice to it. And now we're exposed and you're, you know, having to speak to other people or building up the courage enough to be okay with who I was, was a big deal. Um, Poetry helped me to get through that by just watching, never going to a show, um, seeing people live, but watching them over and over and over and over on stage. So the power of words and somebody presenting them is so real to me. And I know that it can do great things because that's all I did. I would just spend my time just listening to somebody else. And some days it would be feel sorry for myself. And so I want to hear all the sad ones, all the girls that have been hurt. And then other days, you know, I just want to hear the fun ones. And so that kind of transitioned me into the speaking part of it and, and putting it out there. Um, and so once I was brave enough to really go to an open mic, um, it was just kind of like, 
that was the gas I needed. It was like, whoa, they right. really, really liked it. And at first it was just like a high, like, you know, not because I'm a lover of poetry. It wasn't that deep. It was just, whoa, for the first time, I'm not the out girl. I'm not the quirky. I'm not the nerd. I'm not the weirdo. Right. <laughs> I yeah. found my yeah. people. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. I found my people. That's really how it was. I found my people. There are other people that really, you don't just, um, like if I go somewhere and I see a picture or like how you said you're a short story reader, like, um, there, um, Sammy's blues. So like when I'm in class and my professor's explaining this short story by James Baldwin, right. And they get a whole different interpretation. I was like, well, I think we should look a little deeper into this. Right. <laughs> Everybody's like, no, we just saw the gist of what it is. He just gave us what the theme of this thing was. Let's get over it. <laughs> but there's a group of people such like this that, that understand like uh, there's some kind of I don't know fire that is just it sets a blaze inside of me it could be something as simple as a picture or you know but whatever it is it stems some words it stems a rhythm and it has to go on paper and once it goes on paper for me it has to be spoken aloud that's just what I've been given to do some people can paint well and that's what they're supposed to do that's why I think like the whole self-identity and what we're trying to push for the youth is a big deal. And so teaching for the couple, I did three years teaching the conflict resolution in the mm. judicial system. And so this is, I'm answering your question. <laughs> no, we're loving it. We're going, you knock it out of the so, park. Go for it. So, um, that's very fast to give you my life. You're like, yeah. <laughs> so, um, working in the judicial system, they give you, you know, pretty much cookie cutter curriculums that, you know, this is what we go by to teach conflict resolution. Um, and so at this time I'm doing a, a little bit better as far as my own standing and feeling good about myself. Um, and I, I was doing a little bit with poetry and had some ideas, but I wasn't doing anything major with it. Um, and so I saw these kids and they were all teenagers and I'm thinking most of them have that attitude chip on their shoulder. I don't care. I don't care. And I'm thinking everybody's saying they don't care, but you're sitting in here with me right. from nine to like three o'clock. You wouldn't have gotten the fight if you didn't care. <laughs> yeah. Like, we don't rally up and do things that we don't care about. You know, even even if I turn around to you just to say, so what? I cared. Because if I didn't, I, I would have just walked away. Why waste those two words? I could have used those for a show. Right. <laughs> you know? yeah. Or for something else, you know? I, I didn't have to use them on you. Um, and so what I thought, I went back to my boss, and I was like, I, I like what we have here. It's really nice. But what do you think if we just add this? And she was so go for it. Whatever it is you feel like you can do to do something with them. And after that, it was like, whoa, somebody really trusts my ideas. And it was like a confidence booster for me. And so I realized that it wasn't anything to do with these fights that they were having or what someone said. It has to do with how we feel about ourselves. Mm -hmm. And so the example that I always use is if you tell me that I can't read and I know that I can read us to get in a fight about it for what? Us to argue about it for what? If I am good with the fact that I know who I am or what I am capable of, and you say that I can't, that is fine. It will be just that. We will have no more conversation about it. What's the point? What's the point if I'm sure of self, if I'm grounded in self? And there are a lot of us, young and older, that are not okay with self. And, not, and I'm in no way saying people should be disrespected and you be okay with it. But to get to the point that these kids were getting into and say that we don't care, I understood that it was self-identity, self-awareness, right. that where I come from has nothing to do with the character and who I am. If I can lock into that, and that is my foundation, 
then I can do some other things and then we can start moving. And so that's what we did. And that is how this movement came about. And the reason we're using the poetry tool is because the only, the thing we do best is what we've been given. Mm-hmm. And I feel like the blessing that I've been given and the talent I've been given is words and poetry. And so I use that so that I'm in, I'm, I'm not fitting into anybody else's lane. I'm sticking in my own and doing what I know well and, and trying to usher that into a community where I grew up and I know for sure that the youth can use it. But I, I think there's a lot more, more gaps um, than just racial things or there's male and female gaps, things that we don't understand just because we are different or age gaps or economic gaps or educational gaps. And we're a community mm-hmm. and we should be just that, not just a word. And that's what I want to feel. That's what I want to happen. So, so when you're working with, so I, when you were talking about working with the youth who are, you know, come in and say, I don't care about things. And, and so clearly there's, some history with those kids that have gotten to them to a point of saying, I don't care. I'm just going to sit here and I don't care. And then for you to have this love of words and the spoken word to bridge that gap with Mm -hmm. that child, you're talking about all these gaps Mm -hmm. and I'm thinking there's almost an emotional gap sometimes as well. So you have this kid who clearly may have had a difficult background, difficult history. Um, and they come in front of you and then you say, okay, I need to bridge this gap with this with this kid using what has allowed me to bridge other gaps in my life with the spoken word. Can you kind of walk me through an experience that you've had with a kid where that kind of, kind of, you were able to meet on that? Sure. So, um, when you said that, one kid in particular jumped out in my head. <laughs> um, I can't remember... I, um, what his name was. But anyway, it was this gentleman that came into the class and he was like, um, they used to give you this bell. So if things got really heated or something, you could ring the bell and somebody could come save you. Right. Oh gosh. (laughs) Almost walked out of the door. They don't tell you that when you're interviewing for the position though. (laughs) So they tell you that after. (laughs) Like on your first day. Oh, by the way, here's the alarm bell. And so I'm thinking, what? These are kids. They're not gonna... My boss was like, are you sure? I was like, yeah, I'm sure. I don't really think it's going to get that way. She was like, well, I can tell you a story about. (laughs) How it did. (laughs) And so I was thinking, no, I think I'm going to just try to go in there first and see how things go. But I don't don't think it's going to run down that way. So um, this one kid um, almost made me feel like I took the bell. Um, And so he, he just got really irate. And when I say about, to me, absolutely nothing. It was about absolutely nothing. But of course, if somebody gets that irate that quick, there's some underlying things. And so, you know, you're teaching about the iceberg and these underlying feelings. And on top is the tip of the iceberg and you're angry. (laughs) But what are the emotions underneath in that moment? That is not what you're thinking. You're thinking, oh my gosh, I'm like five, one. And this kid was like, he's tall. He was a bulky kid. Like they were ages 13 to 18. Um, so he he was pretty big. He could have, you know, linebacker kind of kid. <laughs> right. Yeah. He was going to take me down. No doubt about it. So um, because we were in class mode, you know, I was thinking you're also a teacher right now. You're also a conflict resolution teacher right now. So this is a moment to really kind of show what's going on. So as opposed to feeding into that back and forth, like I think sometimes our youth gets, we'll come back to it. But we have a class to run. If you would like to walk out, if that's what you feel, have at it. But you can go outside, relax for a little bit, and I'll be out there and I'll talk to you. 
And so he stormed outside, of course, not like he wanted to talk to me, but just because he wanted to slam out because he couldn't back down then. He's already showed the class that I'll show her. (laughs) And so when I got them all on their work, I I was literally shaken on the inside. I was like, whoa, (laughs) now I'm going to go outside with the kid. But when I go outside with him and I'm like, I don't know if he thought that we were going to argue or what, but he was braced for an argument. And I was like, just to him, just pretty much not verbatim, but just saying to him, like, I'm not understanding where you're coming from. But if you want to explain that to me, please do. The one commonality that we all have is words. Even if you weren't able to speak them to me, you would be able to sign them to me. Even if you didn't speak them with the same language, you still have a language. Right. Give it to me. Tell me what what that is. We you're going to have to use it. That's the only thing that we have. So nobody giving him that moment to really speak is what he said. Mm. Nobody really cares about what I have to say. I'm telling you, I do. So here's this kid who was so irate and yelling in the classroom. But when I give you the floor. And I give you the opportunity to speak and say what it is that's on your heart, whatever it is, even if it's mad, even if it's cussing at me, and you don't know what to say. Well, when you don't know what to say, that's because you're never given the opportunity to really speak. Or you don't know really what you feel because it's all all boggled all up. And he just said, like, nobody really cares pretty much that you get bumped from this place to that place to that place and nobody really cares about you. So me being in here with you all day and you pretending like you care, you really don't. He walked in the door hating me because I was just another face in the judicial system or in his life, period, pretending to care. But I go home with a paycheck. That's how he saw me. Where for me, I didn't see any of them as a number. I saw them as valuable. I really wanted something good to happen with you. But being given the floor, the opportunity to speak was a profound moment, I believe, in his life. And even though after that day, I've never seen him again, maybe I have in Walmart and I didn't know it was him. <laughs> you know what I mean? But you never know. And we don't know how, how those words or those opportunities transcend into something else in someone else's life. But what I do know is that when he's, you're given the floor and you don't know what to say, that was, that was major for him and it was major for me. Um, and that, those kind of experience are kind of what throw you into the idea of, there has to be a platform. There has to be something that that every individual is given where they have the opportunity to speak. Excellent. We are actually running right up against the clock, so we're just going to finish up with a couple of quick things. Um, where can people find you socially? Um, how can they get involved with the... Uh, spoken word second Fridays. Sure. And is that what it's called? I think I just invented <laughs> that name. So Berlin, for those who don't know, because it's amazing how many people don't know, every second Friday of every month, there is an art stroll that occurs on Main Street. Um, Zeno Wellness Yoga Studio is where we hold them. That is 10 South Main Street um, right here in Berlin. Um, and we do those. The open mics are from six to eight. Most times we run up until like eight thirty nine, just because we bask in it. But those are the official times. Um, as far as social media goes, I'm on Facebook. Um, Ashes the Rebirth um, is my page, which has just uh, different things on there um, for inspiration. But as far as the movement, it is just Beauty from Ashes, um, and it's Beauty for R M. A-S-H-I-Z, Ashes. Um, And as far as the movement goes, you can go to our website. That is www.beautyfromashes.org. 
Yep, and we will also make sure that we put all the links on the uh, on the website. Okay. So you'll have uh, your own little bio, and we'll make sure all those links get posted so people can just find it super easy. Awesome. awesome. We want to make we want to make it as easy as possible for people yeah, to, I'm to sure join in. The way I spelled it. <laughs> <laughs> no, no worries. If you're interested in reaching out to us, we will send you. If you what do we say? If you send us love, we will send you uh, limericks and haikus. You can uh, send us an email at podcast at saltwatermedia.com. Tony will write the limerick, I will write the haiku, and we're going to put it on a postcard and put a stamp on it. Send it to you in the mail just like a grown-up, and um, you have to choose the word because when Stephanie chooses them, they're always really, really difficult. So <laughs> send us a word and say, send me some love, and we'll just do that. Absolutely. All right, Stephanie, and now this is a part of the show where you thank the guests. Ashley, thank you so much for being here and for coming on the podcast. It was absolutely a delight. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. So What's Your Story was recorded at Saltwater Media, an indie book publisher in Berlin, Maryland. Want to hear more? Visit www.saltwatermedia.com and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or on Stitcher. Want other people to hear more? Give us a great review there. Tell your story.